Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. episodes ago, we looked at Psalm 100, and it was a psalm on gratitude and thanksgiving. Psalm 102 is not that. Psalm 102 is one of those psalms that is a psalm of complaining. Now, I you know, we've talked about grumbling, and grumbling being one of the biggest sins in the Old Testament, but that's not necessarily the same thing as complaining. Now, you might be thinking I'm, I'm finding a distinction without a difference, but I, I don't think I am. Because Psalm 102, it says in the little subscript, and again, these subscripts are very ancient. They're very old editor's scripts. Uh, They're before any, they're as old as any copy of the Old Testament Hebrew that we have. So it goes way, way back, centuries and centuries, thousands of years. And it says, this is a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord, and it's all capital L-O-R-D, so it's it's before Yahweh. I think this is a psalm of David just by the way it writes, by the way it reads. It sounds like his style, although it's not specifically attributed to him, but a lot of psalms that we believe are psalms of David are not attributed to him. Let's read it again. This is a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before God. Is there a difference between grumbling and complaining. I think there is. I think grumbling is accusing. It's a, it has this element of accusing God, and we don't want to accuse God, and so we sort of accuse the universe. We accuse our circumstances of being unjust, that it's something that I don't deserve this. I deserve better. Complaining is not the same thing as accusing. Complaining is unloading. Complaining still treats God as as in charge and knows what he's doing. It's not accusing God of doing something that I deserve better, but it still trusts God's deliverance. So grumbling is I deserve better. God's not doing a good job or the universe is not being just and fair to me. Whereas complaining has this sense of, I'm not thinking I deserve better, but I'm just going to unload how I feel and I'm going to trust in God's deliverance. That's what this psalm is. It's different than a psalm of grumbling, but it's not a psalm of, of thanksgiving. It's a psalm of complaining. It's what it says. And sometimes you just need to vent to God on how you feel. And so when I say complaining is kind of unloading, one way we can think of it is complaining is uploading. It's just simply giving to God our feelings. Grumbling's a kind of backdoor accusation against God, but this psalm does the opposite. This psalm is seeing God as in charge and just and in control and has a plan, and yet this psalm is is unloading the emotions, the negative emotions of how he feels. And we have to learn to do that. We have to learn to take our negative emotions to God in worship worshiping God by uploading to him our negative emotions. There are times when we just feel 
down, where you feel negative, things are not going well. And so instead of internalizing those things and acting as if everything's fine or just simply not dealing with it, we just ignore it. Instead of that, we direct them toward God. We we direct these negative emotions as an upload to God in worship, kind of a vertical upload. So this psalm starts off, hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Now, this is something where you can see the emphasis on my feelings, my prayer, my cry, my distress, and then the emphasis on God, come to you, your face, your ear. And so it's seeing my complaint, my negative emotions in this vertical connection with God. I, you, know, you know, one of the things that I think you define gossip as talking about somebody to somebody that can't do anything about it. But complaining in this sense is talking to the one and the only one who really can do something about it. And so that's why it's an act of worship to take our negative emotions to God as an upload because he is the one that can do something about it. So don't ignore your negative emotions. Take them vertically. Think them through and be able to articulate them. Sometimes, and I don't want to use a modern day word as if that's the goal, but it's very therapeutic to think through your negative emotions enough where you can articulate them. I think this is a specific issue, especially for men, that that we don't articulate, we don't really, not really in tune with our negative emotions. We just feel them and we take them out on others. We might lash out in anger or just be grumpy or grumbly, but we're not really articulating our emotions. We're not thinking them through. And I think if we can think them through and be able to articulate them in prayer to God, that is incredibly helpful for us. It keeps us from just putting it in our bones and our muscles, and it begins to you know, help us identify what we're feeling. And, and so listen to how this psalmist, I think David, but it doesn't matter, listen to how this psalmist does this. It's an image, it's a poetry of his emotional anguish, expressing, this had to take some thought, thinking through how to express his negative emotions. Verse three, for my days pass away like smoke. And my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. Now, if you've been with this podcast for a while, you recognize that does sound like David, doesn't it? But he's saying, I'm like a desert owl in the sense that I'm alone and I'm awake at night. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. My enemies taunt me. They deride me. My name is used as a curse. My days are like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass. I forget to even eat. And because of my loud groanings, I just feel like my flesh and my bones are in agony all day. This is 
obviously poetry, and the psalmist had to take time to articulate it. And I think it's really healthy for us to do that. I don't do a very good job of that. And I think that prayer and worship can be a really helpful way for us to do that. And the key is that he sees God as having a just reason for allowing this. So verse 9, for I eat ashes like bread. He's continuing this. I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Now, what the psalmist is doing, and it might be David, I think it is David, is saying, look, I don't deserve better. I'm not complaining as if this is unjust. I know that I've sinned, and I know that perhaps you're punishing me in some way, getting my attention in some way, waking me up in some way, because I have squandered your blessing, and you're giving me a second chance to repent. You're giving me a chance to change course. And one of the ways that God gives us a chance to repent and change course is to get our attention by seeing the consequences of our sin, seeing the consequences of our decisions that have ignored God. And so this psalmist is saying, look, I'm eating ashes like bread and my tears are like drink because of your indignation and your anger for you've taken me up and you've thrown me down and probably rightly so. So verse 12, but you, O Lord, you, Yahweh, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. So again, this psalmist takes it back to, but you. And he's not saying I deserve better. He's saying, I know that you're doing this for a reason. It's not to punish me as a you know vindictive kind of punishment. It's to get my attention. But you, Lord, are enthroned forever. I acknowledge that you are God. I acknowledge that you are enthroned. And I acknowledge that you are enthroned forever. This is that idea of God being the I am, the Lord. He uses that term here, that God inhabits eternity. He is God forever. Our mind can't comprehend forever, even though it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity in all of our hearts. Yet we can't really fathom the idea of forever past, forever past, no beginning, and forever future. And God has always been enthroned. There's never been a time when the I am has not been the I am, is not the I am. He is the one who is and who was and is to come. He inhabits eternity. He is the eternal one. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And so David just acknowledges that in all his troubles, he lifts up his eyes and says, You, Yahweh, are enthroned forever. And he says in verse 17 about Yahweh, he regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. So this psalmist is saying, look, in all this, even if God is in some way doing this in my life because I have sinned against him and he's trying to get my attention, he's letting me experience the consequences of my sin, he's given me a chance to make different choices, he regards my prayer and he doesn't despise my prayer. He is watching me, he is listening to me. So when he says in the very first verse, when he says, hear my prayer, O Yahweh, the I am, and let my cry come to you. He's acknowledging that his prayer is coming to him. And so verse 18 says, Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That's amazing because that's exactly what we're doing right now. 
this prayer, and I think the prayer of David, whoever is praying it, is saying, look, let my experience count for something. Let my suffering be used as an example for others to come, that you are the one who's in charge. You are enthroned forever. I see all my suffering in light of your rule and your godship and your lordship, and you're in control of everything, and you hear my prayer, and you don't despise my prayer, and you don't hide your face from me. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that people yet to be created may praise the I am. And that's what we're doing. And it's amazing to think in terms that this person is saying, look, my life is not just about for me. My life is for others. I want to live my life. I don't want to waste my suffering. I don't want to waste these things in my life. I want them to be used in some kind of way that others would look and acknowledge what it means to live in light of God's sovereignty and God's rule and God's authority. So let me read verses 18 through 22. And let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the I am that he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord Yahweh looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die that they may declare in Zion and Zion is this kind of sort of mythical perfection of God's kingdom, God's heaven, God's capital, so to speak, the capital of heaven, that they may declare in Zion the name of Yahweh and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord, worship Yahweh, worship the I am. So this is what this psalmist is saying. Look, let this be recorded for generations yet to be created that they would praise the I am because God is looking down from heaven, from his holy height, and he is looking at the earth and he is going to set the prisoners free. He's going to hear the groans of the prisoners and set free those who are doomed to die. That's poetic language of the gospel. That's what Jesus said he came to do. We are all prisoners. We are all doomed to die. And God is going to look at the earth and free and redeem and bring a new story to those who are prisoners and those who are doomed to die. Verse 21, that they may declare in Zion the name of Yahweh and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples. So that's talking not just about Jews in the physical sense, but in this sense of this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, that through his seed, all families of the earth would be blessed. It's always been the scope of the message of the Bible. It's always been the the scope of the larger story that this is about God bringing the peoples of the earth together, gathered together, and the kingdoms to worship the I am. This is the bigger story. This is what God is doing. And what this psalmist is doing is bringing his problems together into the bigger story, and he wants God in some way to use his problems as part of, in some way, bringing about that bigger story, and that a generation yet to be created, people yet to be created, would praise God through this record, through this psalm, and here we are doing it. 
So he says in verse 25, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. So this psalmist is saying, look, everything in creation, stars are born and then they wear out and die after billions of years. Trees are born in some sense, trees happen and they die. And everything has a cycle, but the children, your servants will dwell secure. Your offspring shall be established before you. So he's saying, look, there's a bigger story here. You have laid the foundations from of old from the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. You've created the universe. You've created the earth. Everything has a cycle of life and death. You change them like a robe. And yet you are the same. You are constant. You are the I am. You are enthroned forever. And because you have created us in your image, we shall dwell secure with you. Your offspring shall be established before you. We are part of this bigger story. And I can see my problems as dots in this long eternal story. Everything gets put in perspective when I see my problems in light of the eternal bigger story. I'm having a bad day on an eternal timeline is basically what it is. And God is enthroned forever and he cares about my prayer. And I can trust with just that. I can just leave it at that. He's in charge and he cares and he has this bigger story and he shall cause his peoples to dwell secure. His offspring shall be established before him and kingdoms will worship him. And I can trust God enough with just knowing that. It's not a perfect answer when I go through hard times. I would like to simply pray and God take them away. The Bible is a lot more complex than that. There's a certain kind of existential angst in our lives when we just have to trust in this long plan of God that he is enthroned, that he cares, that my prayer comes before him. He's not ignoring me. He hears every word. He is the I am who is 100% present with me without being any less present anywhere else because he's infinite. I can't understand infinite, but infinite means nothing gets used up. His presence is not used up. He is 100% present with me, and he laid the foundations from of old of the earth and created the universe, and he has this story that I don't know, but I have this promise and this bigger story that he has set the prisoners free, he's set free those doomed to die, that we would declare his praise, that peoples would gather together a kingdom to worship him, that a people yet created would praise him even through this psalm. And Jesus is bringing about this story. And I don't understand all the things that are happening in my life, but I can trust, I can yield, I can surrender, I can just have this sense that I look up and I acknowledge that God is in control. I can pray, hear my prayer, O I am, O Yahweh, the I am. Let my cry come to you. 
that my life would come before you, my cry would come before you, that you would pay attention to me, that you would see every detail in my life, and that you would hear my prayer, and that my prayer would come before your face, that my distress would come before your ear, and that you would answer me. And I pray that you would deliver me from this distress. I pray that you would give me relief. I pray that you would restore me. I pray that you would bring me out of this and bring me into strength and bring me into flourishing and bring me into joy and that you would bring healing where healing is needed, that you would bring restoration where restoration is needed, even in this life, that you would have mercy on me and that you would strengthen me and that you would bless me and that you would make your face shine upon me and give me joy and give me peace. But I acknowledge that you are in control. I acknowledge that I don't deserve any better than what I have now. I deserve far worse. And you are a God who cares about me. Whatever suffering you bring my way is for the purpose of the bigger story, and it's for the purpose of me seeing myself in the context of your being enthroned forever and seeing my circumstances in the context, perhaps, of living out the consequences of decisions that have been based on pride or decisions that have been based upon ignoring you, decisions that have been based upon uh, disobeying you, and that you are letting me experience some of those consequences. But I pray for your mercy. I pray that you would set me free. I pray that you would be gracious and that you would provide relief and salvation and deliverance, even from my own stupidity. I don't deserve better, but I know that you are going to bring me into better, that you are going to bring me into where I dwell secure, and you're going to establish me as your offspring forever before you, and that you are going to set free those who groan and set free those who are doomed to die. You have set me free from being doomed to die by coming in the person of Jesus and dying for me and taking my sin upon you on the cross, all my sin upon you on the cross, not just some of it, but all of it, upon the infinite Jesus on the cross to take all my sin upon him for all eternity. You have done it. You have set me free and you have brought me into this bigger story. You have brought me into this God renewing the earth with your bigger story. This The whole point of you bringing your salvation to this earth and peoples from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue will gather together and kingdoms will come and forever worship before you and we will reign with you forever and ever as princes and princesses destined to be created in your image, renewed to be conformed to the perfect image of Christ and to reign with you and to have this glory with you, to live in your beauty, to live in your love, to reflect your glory and your radiance and your majesty and your holiness and to have this fullness of joy that Jesus said he came to bring and to have this sense of living in your light and living in your life and being people who are able to be a part of this bigger story, even if now I can't understand why certain things are happening in my life, and there is a sense in which this life is going to end in ashes. It's going to end in dust. This is a life in this side of the resurrection that is characterized by thorns and thistles and dust 
and death, and I'm going to experience all of those in some very real way at certain times in my life, and they will eventually have the last word but not have the last word, because you have defeated death, you have set free those doomed to die, and I'm going to have a resurrection on a restored, renewed earth and a resurrected body of glory and strength, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, of being able to live, seeing the spirit world, and never dying, and never having disease, and never having sin. And this is the story my life is in, because you, Yahweh, are enthroned forever. And so forever, I will praise you, and I praise you now. Now I praise you, and I will praise you forever, because you have redeemed my life, and you have filled me, and you indwell me with your Holy Spirit, and you have given me new life, and you have lifted my eyes to you, that I can praise you and worship you, because I am inside a much bigger and better story than I can possibly see right now. And so I trust, I rest in you. I trust you and surrender all of my circumstances to you. And I can experience peace in these circumstances. I can experience your love in these circumstances. I can know your presence in these circumstances. And that you are involved in every detail of my life, all the way down to the very hairs of my head, Jesus said. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of your heavenly Father, Jesus said. Everything in my life is controlled by you and under your authority and under your throne forever. And so forever I praise you, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.